my refuge and my fortress when plagues and pestilence draw nigh I'm hidden in his presence when terrors fall and arrows fly his shield will be my safety when stones across my on angels' wings I am carried My dwelling place is God most high A present help in danger I rest secure in love's pure love Beneath my master's favor, he freed me from the fowler's net, where sin and shame had bound me. Deceived, I'd make my refuge there, to fearness he came for me. St. James. I'm glad to see you guys here, uh, spread out though we are, and all be masked. Can I say something about the mask real quick? I know it's uncomfortable. Um, we went to a city museum this past week. Uh, they had a soft opening, and for 
uh, if you signed up real early. And I had the mask on, and it's, it's like, I know it's like a furnace under there. Um, also, I, I freely admit that I don't know if it's actually doing any good or doing anything. It might not actually be accomplishing anything. Uh, but I also do know that there are people here who won't come if we aren't wearing masks. And so for them, uh, for the people who are, um, want us to wear masks so that they will feel safer and maybe even be safer, um, let's continue to do it for, for right now. But also let's keep on thinking about hoping, you know, uh, looking for signs when we can start to relax some of these things, maybe get more people in here too. Um, but for right now, let, let's just keep on continuing to do that. And I, it's not fair for me, I'm the one who's not wearing a mask, to stand up here and say that, I know. But um, I think it's best for right now. A couple quick things. Uh, Bible study on Zoom. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. We're going to start today. If you want to be a part of that, send me uh, the request, and I will send you an invitation to that link. Uh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, which actually is what we're going to be talking about, uh, what Paul's talking about in Romans uh, 7 and 8 today too, so uh, interesting overlap there. The new portals of prayer are back there. If you want a portals of prayer, uh, grab them. They should be on the counter in the back. Also, uh, continue signing up on the website. I did, not, I did not send out an email with the link in it this week, and so, um, but I still want you to do that. And I, it's, I had a lot of people calling and saying, do we not need to do that anymore? I'll try to remember to send an email out to you with a link to the uh, sign up on the website. But if I don't, or if you don't catch it, just remember to continue signing up uh, there while, while we're limited in the amount of people. I think that right now uh, the Department of Public Health is still recommend, recommending 25% capacity. So we're trying to keep it to 40 in here, which we're right at that, this group here. So I'll continue to sign up. And that's, that's all the announcements I have, I think, for this morning. So uh, let's go ahead and stand and we'll begin worshiping. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I confess to God Almighty, before the whole company of heaven, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed, by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray God Almighty to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray God Almighty to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you pardon forgiveness, and remission of all your sins. Amen. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to this earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated.
Okay, the text for this morning is uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 and 6. We finished up chapter 6 last week. Uh, And Paul says this, Or do you not know, brothers? For I'm speaking to those who know the law. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Here's an illustration. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's freed from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit from God, for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul is going to talk, and for all of Romans chapter 7, Paul's talking about the law. He's going to turn his attention to the law. Before we get going, let me make just a quick definition. If you're not aware, when Paul says law, he doesn't just mean like, human laws in general, like, you know, don't speed or don't jaywalk or don't murder, although there's overlap between that and God's law. He means Torah, the law of God, the the law that God gave Israel to define them as a people, to give them the house rules for the way that they would live as God's people. So why does he, second question is, why is he bringing up law here? And the answer is, is, I want you to remember that what we're doing here, what Paul's doing here, in Romans 5-8 through 8 is that he's telling the story of salvation in real time. He starts off in Romans 5 with the creation of the world and the fall of Adam. And at the very end of Romans 8, we're going to end up on the mountaintop of new creation. Jesus' return and, making, and setting all things back to right. And he's tracking this story in the Christian life, from Romans 5 through 8. So Romans 5 is the fall. Romans 6 is the exodus. God's plan to redeem the world through means of calling out a people through water. And the way he talks about it there is in terms of baptism. You and I who are believers, we've been baptized into Christ. That means that when Jesus died on the cross, we died with him. And when Jesus rose from the dead, we rose with him. So we are completely new human beings. And now he's going to bring up the law because that's what happens next in the story, right? You have the exodus out of Egypt. You have the baptism into Moses for us, baptism into Christ. Then you have the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Super important that he brings law up here. And the reason why is this is because for Paul's Jewish listeners, readers, they always, they, 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 this is the way they would have automatically thought, the way all of us as humans think is, how do I get from Romans 6 my being liberated from slavery and establishes a free people, to Romans 8, the promised land, new creation. How do I get from here, my baptism, to Jesus ruling and reigning over the whole world? The easy answer in the story of the Bible is, right on the surface, is the law. How do I get from the beginning to the ending? Well, God gave his law to give us directions how to get here. That just makes sense. Paul's going to say in Romans chapter 7, it's not true though. He's talking about the law because it fits in there. So so, so in the Jewish mindset, the law does two things, okay? First of all, it gives you directions. 
from Exodus to promised land. It tells you how to be God's people. And second, because it was just given to you, it gives you an identity. It's a badge. We are the people who God has given his law. Now, I'm not going to talk about that second one because, I mean, Paul's going to talk, he talks about, about it actually in Romans 2. Not so much here. I am going to talk about the first one today, though, and, and next week as well. Can the law get you from point A to point B? Can, can the law get you from your baptism to new creation? And Paul's going to say categorically the answer is no. Because the law is less like directions for living and more like a bad marriage. Less like directions for living and more like a bad marriage. That's why he tells this story about this. It's a woman. And obviously in the story, it's, he doesn't say it explicitly, but it's implied that the, the marriage is bad. She wants out from under it. But as long as her husband's still alive, she's not free to go and marry somebody else. That would be polygamy. It would be against the law. And so the law sits on top of her saying, you have to stay married to this guy. However, if he dies, she's free to marry whoever she wants. And Paul's going to say in uh, verse 4, you also have died to the law. That's interesting. He says you've died. So, you know, in the story, like you're in a bad marriage, um, you're thinking, well, I wish that my spouse would die so I could be out from this marriage. Paul actually says, it's in the story, it's you who die. That's the way to get out of a bad marriage is for you to die. That's the way to do it. But of course, you're also raised to life, verse 4. You've died to the law through the body of Christ that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead. And so now you, you don't belong to the law anymore. You're not married to the law anymore. You're not connected to the law. So, I'm sorry, in the analogy, it's the law that tells you you have to be married, but it's also the law that you're married to. It's not just the law, right? In chapter 6, who is it that we've died to? We've died to sin. We've died to death. We've died to unrighteousness. These are words he uses. And now here, he's kind of handed around at this, right? That the law of God actually comes in on the side of sin and unrighteousness and death. And he's been hinting around at this, that, that, that word or in verse 1, or do you not know, brothers, is pointing back to Romans 5.20 where he says, the law came in. Why did God give the law? Not as directions to get from the wilderness to the new creation, but, <coughs> excuse me, God gave the law to increase the sin. God gave us the law to make our sin bigger. Now, of course, the good news here is that when sin gets big, grace gets even bigger. But the law is not your friend. The law makes your sin bigger. He says later in verse 15, the problem though with that is though, uh, verse 15 of chapter 6. Okay, so that means we can continue to sin because we're not under the law but under grace. Like So Paul, if you tell us that we don't live under the law anymore, that the commands of God no longer are binding on us, then everybody's just going to do what they want, right? And Paul's going to say, well, essentially everybody does what they want anyway. But instead of doing what Instead of being controlled by the law, now you'll do what you want because the Spirit will transform your heart to do what He wants. This is all sort of like prologue. Uh, just hang with me if you would for a second. I know this is slow going here. So um, the law is not your friend. The law is your enemy. The good news, though, is that you have died to the law. You're no longer under the law. You don't live under it anymore. It's like a bad marriage, and you don't have to obey that husband anymore because you're dead. And you've been raised, now you're living with a new husband. So you can do what you want because you're married to Jesus now. Let me sum it, let me sum it up this way. You have to, as Christians, you don't have to obey God's law anymore. You don't, in fact, you should not 
you should not think of yourself in terms of, I have to obey God's law. I know that this might be a little bit confusing because Paul's going to come in in Romans 13 and tell us, love each other. You don't owe anybody anything except to love everybody because loving is the fulfilling of the law. So he's going to come around and say, we should fulfill the law. But here in Romans 7, he's saying, you don't live under the law anymore. You don't have to obey the law anymore. And it's a little bit confusing, but as we go today, just give me a few minutes here. I'm going to try and connect these two things. You don't have to obey God's law anymore. And ironically, by telling yourself that in Jesus Christ, you don't have to obey God's law anymore, that's the first step to actually fulfilling God's law. All right? So just hang, just hang with me just for a few minutes. Do you, have, you, you know fathers? There's, it's kind of like a 1950s movie TV show trope about fathers who they think that they're a good father because they provide for their family. Right? They work and kids have a house roof over their heads, they've got meals, they've got food, they've, they've got clothes. And that's kind of what it means to be a good father. This is kind of a good example of what Paul's talking about here. This sort of, that sort of father, look, if, there's, if there are rules for being a good father, those would be on the rule list. Provide for your family. Take care of your kids. Make sure they have food to eat. But just obeying those rules doesn't make you a good father. And if, you're, if, if, if in your head you're thinking, oh, I know how to be a good father. I have the law. Go to work, make money, buy them shoes. Now I'm a good father. Then you're not, that's all you're, you're not really a good father because you're living under the law. It's kind of what Paul is saying here. Church attendance works the same way too, right? We're, so what, we're, what the gospel is doing is it's moving us from you have to do this to you get to do this. Like a good father is not one who says, I'm going to be a good father. I have to go to work. I have to buy this stuff. A good father is the one who says, I love my kids. I want to provide for them because I love them. I want personal connection with them. Lots of Christians go to church under the law, mistaken with the notion that like, okay, what's the rules for being a good Christian? One of those has to be going to church, right? And I'm, and I'm here to tell you that you don't have to go to church to be a good Christian. You don't have to go to church. That's a law that you no longer live under. So am I saying that you don't need to go to church? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying now you get to go to church. Right? You don't have to talk to your wife. You get to talk to your wife. It's not a rule. You don't live under that law. Like talk to your kids 10 minutes a day. That's a kind of a lame, bad father thing. If somebody has to have a rule like that, that means that they're not a good father. If you have to say, okay, I'm going to set a timer and talk to my kids for 10 minutes. No, you get to talk to your kids. And what Paul is doing in Romans 7 and 8 is he's moving us from the, there's no more rules for you anymore. Forget the rules. Now you get to. This is your heart now. Now you get to love me. Now you get to love your friends. Now you get to love your family. Now you get to serve them because you're no longer under the law. Okay, here's the meat of the thing, verses 5 and 6. And let me tell you right off the bat that in verse 5, verses 5 and 6 are like table of contents for the next chapter and a half. Verse 5, he's going to tell you exactly what he's going to talk about in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through the end of that. And then in verse 6, he's telling you what he's going to talk about in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through the end of it. So I don't want to spend too much time on it, but verse 5 is going to be what we talk about next week when we get into verses 7 and following. So verse 5 says this, because while we were living in the flesh, can I do a real quick sidebar? Give me 30 seconds. Living in the flesh, Paul uses the word flesh a lot. Don't walk according to the flesh. 
And if you don't know what he's talking about, you think he might be talking about like your body. Like, like there's something dirty and bad about our bodies, but something pure and holy about our spirits. That's not what he means, and it's clear in this verse. Because he says, back then while you were in the flesh, well clearly he doesn't mean the body because we're all still in our bodies, right? He means something else. We, we used to be in our flesh, and now we're not. Let me just tell you, I'm not going to unpack this. It isn't, it's not really important this morning, except just to make this point. Your flesh for Paul is not your body. It's the old sinful nature. It's who we were in Adam before we were baptized. And so he's saying you're not in your flesh anymore, but now you're in this new life. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Okay, he said the same thing in chapter 5, verse 20. The law does not work as directions. The law can't get you from the beginning to the new creation because the law doesn't do anything but arouse your sin. It makes your sin bigger. So how does, it do, how does it do this? Let me give you two ways. One is real simple. You know this is true psychologically. If somebody tells you, you're not allowed to go through that door over there. You can go through any door that you want, but do not go in that room over there. Like the one thing you want most of all is to go into that room. If somebody tells you, like you can't have this drink right here, do not drink this. Your one thought is like, why? Why are they telling me that? I wonder if they're keeping something good back from me. I'd like to test, maybe they're being truthful though, maybe it's poisonous. But you're, like, your, your intentions are, like, don't talk to that person over there, I don't want you to be friends with that person. Like, my first thought if you tell me that is, like, I wonder why. Like, I, I think I probably ought to find that out for myself. The law, the law makes us want to disobey it. Paul makes this point several times. Where the law sends, he says in chapter 5, verse 20, uh, where, the law, where, the, where the law is, sin gets bigger. But here's the other way the law makes your sin bigger. Give me a second to unpack this. The law makes your sin bigger because the law doesn't make you good at stuff. It just tells you what to be good at. The law tells you what to be good at, but it doesn't actually make you good at stuff. So like my kids, like my kids have done youth sports for a long time, and you know how it is if your kids do youth sports. Like it's a crapshoot what kind of coach you're going to get, you know, because depending upon what it is, sometimes it's like somebody who's really invested and has coached for a long time and loves educating and teaching. And sometimes it's just the person who, like, you know, always brings the oranges. And they get volunteered to be the coach. And they don't really know anything. So there's like a wide variety of different coaches. But you know the kind of baseball coach I'm talking about, maybe, that is like, you know, you're up at bat and the coach is in the dugout, you know, come on, let's get a hit here. Or keep your eye on the ball. You know, you know, like, oh, I, I was going to close my eyes on this one, but I'm glad he said that, you know. I guess I'll watch the ball. Or, you know, you're pitching, and the coach, come on, you got to throw a strike here. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm trying to do, right? That's the law. It's, the direct, it's true. It's not, it's, not the law, it's not that the law is bad. It's actually a part of the game. You have to throw the ball over the strike zone, or it's not going to be counted as a strike. If you want to win, you're going to have to hit the ball and score runs. But the, the problem, though, is that it doesn't help me to have somebody yelling, hey, come on, see the ball, hit the ball, let's go. That doesn't help me out at all as a hitter. You know what it does instead? You, you know, you, you've seen this if you watch this, like, or if you've yelled this at your kid, come on, throw some strikes. Does that make them throw strikes? No, it doesn't make them throw strikes. They already know they're supposed to throw strikes. Instead, what does it do? It emphasizes in their mind that they're not throwing strikes. Look, the, the only reason anybody has ever stood on the, in the dugout and yelled at me 
come on, let's throw some strikes here, is because I wasn't throwing strikes. And hardly ever was it because I just decided, eh, I don't feel like throwing strikes today. It's always because I want to throw strikes. I know the rules of the game just as much as the coach does. I just can't right now. And you telling me, you reminding me of the rules of the game and yelling, let's throw strikes. It just magnifies in my own mind the fact that I can't throw strikes right now. And it makes me nervous. This is what Paul is saying that the law does. The law doesn't actually help you be a good person. The law doesn't help you, so the law doesn't help you be a good baseball player. It just magnifies the fact that you're not a good baseball player. But the good news is you don't live under the law anymore, all right? You know how this is, uh, you, so basically the problem is this. We're not good at stuff. And all the law does is tell us, here's the standard, you should do it. And then when you can't do it, it just reminds you that you're not able to do it. That's, that's what the law does. Right? You, know the, you know the worst, you know, you, do you know the kind of person who like wants to be funny, but they're not really funny? The worst thing you could do was to get them a joke book. That'd be the worst thing. Because actually, like, here's a list of things. Here, here's a list of funny things to say. That doesn't make anybody funny. Like, the, the problem is not that they don't know funny things to say. Their problem is that they're not funny. The problem is not that I don't know that I should throw strikes. My problem is I can't throw strikes. And there's rules about life and living, but they don't, they're good, they're true, Paul's going to insist in Romans chapter 7, we'll look at this next week. Does this mean, he's going to ask the question, does this mean that the law is bad? No, 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 the, the law is holy and just and good. The problem is me. I can't do it. And so the good news is that I don't live under the law anymore. It's not, like, it's, it's not, it's not sitting over me. I no longer have to throw strikes. I no longer have to tell funny jokes in order to be funny. The analogy is going to break down here. But there's a solution, and the solution is in verse uh, 6. And for Paul, I could give you like 14 different instances in Paul's letters. He always does this. You don't live under the law, but you live with, and he always says something about the Holy Spirit. You don't live, in, you don't live under the law anymore, but now you live the life of the Spirit. The law cannot help you, he says in Galatians 5. Walk with the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 3, he says this. He says, you were made, you were begun perfectly by the Spirit. Are you now made perfect by the deeds of the law? No way. That would be foolishness, he says. The law cannot get you from the wilderness to the promised land. The Holy Spirit can, though. Let me read verse 6. We are now released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. He means like the Ten Commandments, the Torah, God's law. We don't serve on the basis of Torah anymore. Now we serve in the life of the Spirit. I can't tell you exactly what this is going to look like right now because he's going to get to it in chapter 8, and so I want to put it off till then. But I do want to spend, we're almost done here, I do want to spend a few minutes talking about like, how, does it, how does life in the Spirit, how is it different than life under the law? Like, because everything about me says I need to like, figure out the rules and work at it and get better at it. And Paul is saying, no, you don't live under the rules anymore. How does this work? Let me give you four or five things here, and we probably have time to get to all these. First of all, can I repeat something I said last week, if you heard the sermon last week? Because it's super important for understanding the way Paul sees the difference between law and gospel. Look, the law tells you this. The law tells you that if you want to go into God's presence, you have to be holy. That's true. If you want to go into God's presence, you have to be holy. But what the law doesn't do is make you holy. Now, the law can say, 
Oh, uh, we can do it on the cheap for a little bit here. Tell you what, here's a, you know, just kill sheep and goats every day for the rest of your life. And that'll kind of like, you know, it, it, it kind of rigs the system a little bit. But once Jesus comes, you don't need that anymore because here's the fact now. The law tells you you have to be holy to be with God. But the gospel, that's the law. The gospel reality is that God being with you makes you holy. You have to be holy to be in the presence of God, but you'll never actually be holy to be in the presence of God until God is in the presence of you. It's only the purifying fire of God's holiness that can make us holy. That's why the law can never get you there, but if God comes to you, he can make you holy where you're at. Ergo, the Holy Spirit. God comes to us. He doesn't say, here's the rules for getting to me. You'll never make it. You can, as, as, throw strikes, throw strikes, throw strikes. You'll never throw strikes. If he comes to us and gives us himself, he will make us holy. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. It's kind of a Galatians 3 point. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and read Galatians 3. Rules are for beginners. The spirit is for the experts. You know this is the case. Like if I, if I say to you, like, okay, here's a recipe for baking bread and hand that to you and you've never, you know, let's say you've never baked before. That, is, that will not make you a baker, even if you've memorized that recipe. A real baker, like, knows the recipe, but they've moved past the recipe. It just becomes a part of them. If you've ever played golf or learned any kind of skill, if you've ever learned how to sew or bake bread or play golf, you know this is the case, is that there's a spot at the beginning where you need the rules. You need to know where to hold your feet. You, know, you need to know how to turn your shoulders. You need to know how to create torque with your hips. And you need to know how to, all, to do all those things, and those are the rules. But if you're going to actually be a real-life golfer, you have to forget past the rules, not because they're wrong, but because you no longer need them because you've embodied them. You've embodied them. You don't live under them anymore. They become a part of you. Right? So the law is for beginners. The same way, like, if I, if I need to tell you, hey, be faithful to your wife, you have problems. You have not yet moved on to the stage where that just becomes faithfulness to your wife becomes a part of you. It's, the law can't get you there. Only the Holy Spirit can get you there, okay? Uh, third thing. The re so, we like to use the law as a way to control the situation. We as humans like to use law because it lets us be in control, but God wants to be in control. Let me give you an example of what I mean. So my son Harry's like this. He gets it from me. I'm totally like this. Like I'll say to Angela, like, is there any half and half left? And she'll say, it's on the top shelf of the refrigerator. And I'll go to the refrigerator and I'll open it up and I'll look at it for 15 minutes, you know, and I'll be like, I don't, I don't see, I move stuff around, I don't see it up here. And she'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll just come and get it. No, 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 no. You t tell me where it is. You don't need to do that. And she'll be like, I told you where it is. Uh, let me just come and get it. I know where it's at. And she'll walk in there and, you know, she'll open the door and it's right there, like sitting right in front of me. And she'll grab it and she'll hand it to me. That's always deeply humiliating to me. You know why? It's a loss of control. It's, I'm like, I've had to submit to her, and in that submission, it's, it's become really clear that I'm a moron or unattentive or some mixture of the book, and that she knows what she's doing. You see, see, what I, see why we like the law? Like, just, just tell me what to do, and then I can do it. Just, just give me the directions. I do not, but the fact is, is that I can't find the half and half. Like, you can tell me where the half and half's at. I can stare at the refrigerator all day with your directions in hand. I don't see the half and half. 
I'm going to need somebody to come and give, get the half and half out for me and hand it to me. That's humiliating. I want the law because the law puts me in control. The law takes God and says, okay, God, give me, you give me the rules. And then, the, then the, 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 the God works for me through his law. He becomes an agent of my authority through his law. M- much like, you know, when you get the, the Lego directions to, to, to the package of Legos, you're in charge. You're making it. It's not, the, it's not the CEO or the board of Legos that is authority over you. They give you the directions, but then you can take them and use them to make it what you want out of it. But God says, no, I don't want that. I don't want to give you directions. You're just going to mess it up. You don't know how to throw strikes, remember? I'm going to have to do it for you. And so he's going to have to do it for us. Here's the last thing. These are all kind of related a little bit. Have you ever noticed? So, so remember, reminder, what we're talking about is like, what's the difference between life under the law and life in the spirit? Why is life in the spirit so much better to get us from baptism to new creation? And I'm trying to paint that picture for you before we unpack it more deeply next week. Here's the last one. Have you ever noticed that it's not directions that actually get you good at something, but it's people? Have you ever noticed that? Like, so if, if, if you don't know how to drive a stick shift, like I could take you out in the parking lot and I could say, okay, let's get in this car, here's a stick shift. Uh, I put on this note card here, I put the five rules for driving a manual transmission. I'm gonna tape this to the dashboard. I want you to spend a few minutes looking over those, reviewing those, and then like think about them, memorize them, and then you should be good to go. Like you know that's not the case. Like there there are rules to driving a stick shift which are important, but you actually have to move past through the rules, embodying them. And the only way to do that, like if I leave you alone, first of all, you're not going to be able to start the car, right? And then once you get it started, you're going to kill it over and over and over again. It's not that you don't know the rules. I can tell you like there's this magic point when you're pushing the gas and you're releasing the clutch and you find that magic point in the middle. Really the only way for me to get you to drive the stick shift is going to be, it's gonna, it's gonna take a patient person sitting next to you asking you, so what are you feeling right now? And like describing what you should feel. It's gonna take a person to do it. Do you remember for those of you who are kids, who have, who have kids, do you remember when your kids came to you and said, teacher said I gotta learn to tie my shoes. And so you're like, okay, well, you know, here, sit down for a second. I want you to think about this. Maybe write it down. There's rules for this. You're gonna take the laces and you're gonna loop them up into bunny ears and you're gonna wrap one around the other and you're gonna take the other one and tuck it through the hole in the, uh, underneath and then you're gonna cinch it tight and Bob's your uncle, right? There you go. Now you got it. You know, the kid's gonna be like, I can't do that because the directions don't work. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to take the kid's hands and you're going to have to make the bunny ears with their fingers and then you're going to have to do the whole thing and it's going to be a real lame sort of sense. You're going to have to do it over and over because you never, ever learn just from directions. You, 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 here's, this is one of the miracles of the modern age. You remember them time, life, do-it-yourself books? Like, none of them ever worked for me. You know what works for me? Like YouTube. Like, if, if I can watch somebody do it, and have them talking me through it. It's not that they're ignoring the directions, but it's personal. That's why the law doesn't work. Because God doesn't want to give you directions so you can go do your thing with his rules. God wants a relationship with you. God, and it's not just that God wants a relationship with you. God's plan is a restored humanity, a restored creation. And the only way he can accomplish that is not by telling us, hey, come on, let's go, see the ball, hit the ball. That never works. He's going to actually have to get inside my body because he's the greatest hitter of all time, and he's going to have to swing the bat through me. He's going to have to hold my hands to teach me how to tie the shoes. He's going to have to somehow embody me 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want to tell you how to live your life. He wants a relationship with you. You're not under the law anymore. You have something way better. You have God himself living inside of you. How's that going to work in detail? We'll keep on looking at that in the next couple of weeks. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being a good and loving God, and we thank you for not leaving us alone, even with good rules, the good rules of your law, of your word. But actually coming down, becoming a human, dying for us, rising for us, ascending for us, sending your spirit to live with us, inside of us, to work out your righteousness inside of us. We pray that you would do that. Turn our minds away from this law life, from trying to think that we can control situations by obeying your rules, from thinking that we've got everything down because we know the rules, and embody your righteousness through us. Do it for your own name's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me and let's continue in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we praise and adore you this morning because you are a sovereign God. In, in the past few months, it's been kind of a necessary thing to confess to each other and to confess to you that you are, even when it doesn't look, life doesn't look normal. And it, I guess it always looks abnormal. It always looks weird. It always looks like things are out of control. But especially right now, it does. And so we want together to confess that we believe that your son Jesus rules and reigns and that you are the Lord of the universe and that you are completely in control. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we also confess though that we struggle to believe this. We don't trust that you are in charge. We try to, we're trying to do this thing on our own, this virus thing, this cultural, the, the cultural divide thing. in uh, all all of the little parts of our individual lives, the sins that we struggle with, the fears that we struggle with, we try to do these things on our own. Or we just give up and figure that they're out of control and there's nothing that can be done. Forgive us for not trusting You. Uh, renew again in our hearts hope and faith in Your work as the Sovereign God active in Your universe now. Lord, in Your mercy. Father, we also want to give You thanks for uh, um, it's not normal to be here all spread out with masks on, uh, subdued and quiet, but, but we, you have allowed us to come back into this room. And we praise and thank you for that. And we praise and thank you for relationships that have been strengthened through what's gone on the past few months. And we praise and thank you for the people whose minds and hearts have been drawn to you who weren't thinking about you back in January and February. And we pray that you continue to do these good works. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we want to pray for everyone who is sick and struggling. Uh, this is a, I was thinking this week about this mystery of prayer to you and how we have requests for good health and for uh, uh, good mental health and for security. And we have in our minds the way that we want those to be answered. But you, mysteriously, sovereignly, have this perfect plan that we don't even know about. And so we're going to ask you for to, you know, to heal us and to provide for us financially. We're going to ask you to grow our church. We're going to ask you to use the gospel to heal Glen Carbon. Uh, we're going to ask you to heal our relationships. Uh, but at the end of the day, at the end of this prayer, Father, we're just going to have to say to you, your will be done. Answer those prayers and we know you will, but do it in the way that you see fit. And then turn our hearts and minds to not only trust you for your way, but to see your way and to see the wisdom of your ways. Lord, in your mercy.
Father, we can only pray to You because of the shed blood of Your Son, Jesus, who covers us with Your holiness and Your righteousness and allows us into Your presence. And so we pray this in His name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together in Jesus' name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat. This is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper. And when He had given thanks... He gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Say.